0: You only get into, out of the game what you put into it, Shirley. hmm And I put everything into it, I could, and still do, for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and
1: soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at oh, all?
0: Yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that.
1: Hello and welcome to Man Marking episode two. Let's see what we've got on the show this week. If you one second and i just there. We go. So I'll take all
2: my clothes off now. Yeah,
1: yeah, please do. And then turn the camera back on.
2: Yeah, no worries. Okay, mate. That cost you <laughs> extra, you know. Not much uh, extra.
1: Pete did it for free, you know.
2: Yeah, they could. Of course, he did. <laughs> it, it's extra to getting to put clothes on, I expect. <laughs> yeah, my name's Luke Moore. Uh, I'm a broadcaster and producer. Um, I'm a radio presenter. I um, co host and produce a number of different podcasts under my, our uh, Stakhanov production company. And I'm one um, eighth or whatever it is now of uh, Football Ramble Daily, the nation's biggest independent football show. Yeah, and how old are you? Uh, I'm 39.
1: 89, wait but you don't look it. Don't look
2: everyone it. says that, you know, actually to the point where everyone says that so often, I'm actually almost dangerously starting to believe it. <laughs> but I'm not sure that's true, but thank you anyway.
1: Are you still wearing, a, still wearing skinny jeans and that's all to behavior?
2: Well, we're on lockdown, so I've had tracksuit bottoms on for two and a half weeks. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, and you're a scouser, so that's that's normal for you, right?
1: Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's racist, that is, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm joined today... By Ryan Pulford and Anthony Olsen. lads. How are we doing?
2: Spot on, mate. You?
1: Yeah, not so bad, not so bad. And how are we, mate? Yeah, I'm good, man. Good. Good, good stuff. Um, Luke Aaron Moore of the Football Ramble, and I'm sure, uh, like me, you were fanboying for the entirety of that episode. So, do you want to give the yeah. the listeners who aren't aware of who Luke Moore is a little bit of a an idea of to why we wanted to speak to him?
0: Uh, yeah, so Luke Moore is on the Football Ramble, which is a podcast uh, you've listened to a lot longer than I have. Um, but obviously, we've been to like the, the live shows. We're you know pretty big fanboys. Um, not ashamed to admit that either. Um, and we we wanted to speak to him because you know he's a, he's a really interesting, intelligent guy. Um, if you listen to any of the Football Ramble stuff, you know he comes across really well. Um, he's a really funny guy as well. And um, you know, we wanted to get a little bit of an insight into how he navigates this thing we call life, and how he navigates this—I uh, suppose you call it—a bit of an empire now he's created uh, or helped to create uh, with his podcast. Um, so we just wanted to pick his brains and and see how that all worked.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, without giving any any spoilers away, the ramble obviously helped you through some some difficult times, and I think that's that's a big part of. Why we both love it is it, it's such a good uh, distraction, I suspect, from, from sort of normal life, which can often get quite difficult.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not um, four guys sitting there talking about uh, tactics. It's four guys sitting there talking about the funny things in football, um, with a few serious elements thrown in. And I think it was just quite refreshing. I think when I first listened to it, it was uh, quite nice to to not hear the same kind of droning on about football. Um, you know, you need to play this way, you need to play that way. It was quite funny that they'd talk about yoghurt and <laughs> which manager were win in a Royal Rumble fight. And, you know, it it, it was just refreshing to hear. It, it it takes your mind away from, from you know, the the boring parts of life and the difficult parts of life and makes you laugh, which is, you know, kind of a, a, a really natural and good medicine.
1: So every episode we have a theme. Ryan, do you want to tell the listeners what this episode's theme is, mate?
3: Yeah, uh, so this week's theme is psychotherapy, friends becoming colleagues and building a podcast empire.
1: Friends building a podcast empire. I, for one, think that sounds incredibly relevant. What do you think?
3: I think we'd have to become friends first. That's a dig. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's enough from us. Here's Luke's interview.
2: Two. In two thousand and seven, uh, I stayed in touch with Marcus. Uh, we used to chat here and there, and 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 uh, we remained friends. He was friends with this guy, Chris Applegate, and they've wanted to recreate the Saturday Sports Show as a podcast, which is a you know which was new technology at the time. And uh, I felt like it sounded like a pretty good idea. I, I was always been interested in radio generally. I was working for a radio station at the time, and. quite like talking about football with my friends um and they agreed to do it at my house so all I had to do was chuck a pair of tracksuit bottoms on and go down to the kitchen uh it seemed pretty convenient and it just went from there really and and we just decided that we really liked it and we loved doing it and so we stuck at it and we've not really weird as it sounds we've not actually missed a scheduled show since then since that day in April 2007 so it'll be 13 years this month
3: yeah and and how long has it been now since it's been your full-time living
2: um, not as long as you might think. It's just under three years I've been doing it full-time. So from 2007 through to 2017, it was um, kind of a second job, really.
3: Yeah. And So what, what are, the, are the challenges for that becoming your sort of direct livelihood? Uh, did, did that dynamic have to change at all, or did it just reach a point of, of that where you could make that transition fairly easily?
2: Um, it's a good question. I think there is a change, actually, because I think that you – you end up realizing there's absolutely no safety net underneath you. And um, our business partner, John, who who isn't on the show, but who runs everything off air, he's always been a bit of, he always, always, always worked for himself. And he's always been an entrepreneur. And and I think that for him, it's kind of everything he knew. and, And that was what he was used to. For me, it was a bit of a change because it's tempting just to have that little hold a bit back to have that safety net. If you've got a solid job, that pays you good money and, and you can do it easily. It feels a bit of a no-brainer to stick with it, but actually, to achieve what you want to achieve and to open up our production company to make lots of different types of shows, non-football shows, for example, that we do at Stakanov, I really needed to give that my all. And so um, it, it only became a way financially to be able to do it probably around the summer of 2017. So at that point was the first juncture I could actually do it, uh, and it's been it's been brilliant actually. It's been a lot more uh fun and a lot less stress than i thought it would be but it does take up quite a lot of your time and you have to adjust to the idea that you've not got a nine to five and that you, you're just as likely to be working on a sunday night than you are on a tuesday afternoon you know so it's, there is a bit of an adjustment there yeah but if you, if you if you like being in charge of your own destiny and taking responsibility for yourself i think it's the best thing you could do
3: yeah that that's very interesting and, and obviously as you've, you've grown bigger uh sponsorships come into it down the line um do you have much sort of say in who you work with or is it a case of you you take as much on it as you can? Do you have any sort of moral judgment on who you work with or, or anything like that? Or is it pretty much sort of any, any exposure is good exposure in, in that sort of way?
2: Um,
3: no, I don't, I don't
2: think any exposure is a good exposure. I think that's demonstrably not the case because there are clearly things that if we were to be associated with, it would be stupid to do so and it would actually be detrimental to us long term. I think... I do have an uh, idea morally about what I want to be doing and what I don't want to be doing. Uh, so thankfully, um, so far, that's not come up, come up on 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 this thing. I mean, no no despotic regimes that I can think of tend to want to sponsor podcasts. So that's not that's not been too difficult. But what I would caution against kind of lecturing on that subject, though. I wouldn't I wouldn't kind of cast aspersions over other people's morals because they're you they're unique to them and everyone's got their own experiences and their own outlook but uh, to answer your question more directly absolutely we would have the final say on, on the sponsorship we want to take on board our shows and and we would in in the case of Stakanov, if it's alongside another producer we would have a discussion about it um but ultimately i can't really think of anything that's come up that oh well to be honest there, there was something a few years ago uh that came along to sponsor us, that um, we turned down. I w- it wouldn't be professional of me to say who it is, but as you're at least two of you are scousers, you might know. You might better fill in the blanks yourself. <laughs> so in
3: terms of the podcast you that you touched on there, that it's, it's expanded away from the ramble, and you you also have slots on things like talk sport as well. Mm. I mean, we've, been, we've fairly recently started this podcast, and one of the reasons we wanted to reach out for it to yourself was because you've done it so successfully. And already we're thinking, wow, it takes a lot of time, planning who you're going to speak to, researching them and um, feels like it's quite exhausting so how, how do you manage your week do you plan aside any time for your own sort of hobbies you like to do and well-being family and those things
2: um yeah I do if I feel like I need to um the good thing about working for yourself or working alongside a couple of business partners who you're all kind of equal to is that you can be in charge of your own destiny and, and I've I'm fortunate that the people I work with are I know them well I mean Pete I've known for a very very long time and, and john who i mentioned earlier we've been friends since we were 16 so we know each other well and and we know what when each other needs a bit of space and what we need to to do to kind of relax and we're all very encouraging of of holiday time and and all the all the sort of well-being stuff that you need to do but ultimately what's really important i think is that everyone's different so you take the responsibility for your own self so i, I if i if i need to take a bit of time out, i'll just do it and i but i won't i won't do that at the behest of my responsibilities I understand we've got people working with us we've got colleagues who rely upon us and look to us for direction and for guidance and and we have to make sure we do the right thing by them um but I don't I try not to let it get to a stage where I'm so stressed or anxious that I can't function anyway because by the time it gets to that stage it's already a bit too late in my experience so one of the positive things about working for yourself and and, then really being in charge of your own destiny is that you can you can make the decisions that you need to make knowing that you're doing the right thing and you haven't got to justify them to a boss or to someone that perhaps doesn't understand because uh, i've got the confidence in myself to know that you know i'm ho- well to hope that i'm pretty good at my job and i know what i'm doing so i just do what i need to do really but ultimately the work-life balance is really blurred when you do this kind of job and if you if you want to get into a situation where um you want a defined set of hours every day and then a defined set of hours to take out for yourself. Very, very difficult to do that just because the the the, 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 the broadcasting world just doesn't really work in that way. It works in a way that, you know, you, you grab stuff when you can, particularly the football thing. A lot of it's at weekends, as you guys know. So it is about taking responsibility for your own boundaries and your own barriers. And and people will have different ways of how they like to relax. And as long as you leave enough time for those at some point, um, then then I think you should be OK.
3: Yeah, I suppose that's really true, that you can't, everything's reacting, isn't it? In the sports world, you're not planning on Cristiano Ronaldo to make his next move or being asked to go into Sky Sports, but those things just appear and you've got to take them when you can. That's right. One thing we've sort of touched on in this podcast, speaking to various people in different roles, is that football is almost on a 24-7 loop. And what we've noticed is the coronavirus, you really notice it not being there when it stops. Yeah. Um, did you think prior to the coronavirus there was almost too much football?
2: Yeah, I think it probably was. Yeah, I think uh, unfortunately I'm old enough to remember when it was a little bit more um, uh, appointment viewing. It was a little bit less prevalent, yeah. and I, th- I think that the I've spoken a bit about this before on, on one of my shows. I can't remember which one now, but that the idea of a build up to a game and then the watching the game, and then the fallout to the game to me was quite a nice routine, but it's felt like the last year or so that it's just been absolutely relentless. It's been never ending. It's been, it's felt like it's been every single night of the week. And then obviously several times at the weekend and initially it was like, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to keep up with this. But then after a while, I was just like, well, you know what? I'm not going to keep up with it. I'm going to speak to my colleagues and I'm going to say, these are the games I've watched. These are the games I think are important. These are the stories I think are important. I'm not going to chase my tail trying to watch every single minute of every single game because, one, I think it's probably impossible anyway unless you're some kind of savant. And, two, um, it's... It's, I don't want. To, I just don't want to be on that treadmill. It's not the life I want. So yeah. I've got lots of interests outside of football as well, and I need to maintain a balance. So yeah, I do think. I do think to answer your question in short, Ryan, I think yeah, it's it's um it's too much, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I remember being like as a child, you'd, you'd remember when the Champions League nights were on, and then come to the weekend, most teams played on the Saturday, so you'd have a long fixture list on match of the day. But now you have the Saturday, the the Super Sunday, the Monday night game, then a League Cup game Tuesday. Yeah. Champions League Wednesday, Europa League Thursday, and as you say, might have a Premier League game again on the Friday. So yeah, it's just to keep up with everything that goes on, yeah. and then maybe support your, your own team outside of that. It just seems like saturation point. But um, I agree, very interesting that you
2: say that. But the thing if, is, though, right, I'm not. I'm not. The, the problem is, I, I don't want that to come across as ungrateful because I've been fortunate enough to make a lion share of my living in football, and I do love it. Um, I just don't necessarily think that what. You know whatever the subject is just having a relentless amount of it whatever it is is necessarily automatically a good thing i don't think it should be a case of people like this let's do loads of it never ending because that, that just to me seems a really imbalanced way of looking at it
3: yeah i agree and that seems to be the actual opinion of most who we spoke to about to where it's actually the quality of it more than the quantity and we've got to a stage now where the quantity is outweighing the quality so it's show as much of it as often as you can as opposed to show it maybe less frequently, but it'd be as good as it can be. And, and I'm like you, I really enjoy the sort of the, the fallout of, of what the, the pundits have to say in those things. But now it sort of gets put, pushed under the carpet because you're just waiting for the next game to come on. <laughs> yeah,
2: and, 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 when, and we we have a range of different types of football shows. So a lot of our shows are quite knockabout and quite fun. And so it doesn't really markedly affect us. But if you're someone who does... Uh, in-depth stuff about tactics or or proper serious stuff, it'd be very very difficult to stay on top of it all, uh, and uh, you know unless it, unless you want to do that at the behest of you know your own quality of life or your other interests or your family or whatever. Oh, definitely. So so just to touch
3: on your position and within your programs, then as you've sort of grown bigger. How have you taken to, to that sort of rise of being verified on Twitter? Probably having people who love you, some who dislike you, people sending you comments. What what was that like? Was there an adjustment period for you at all? Or have you always dealt with that well?
2: It's a bit of a slow burner, really. I think mean, the first the first instance, when Twitter was quite new and we were quite new, it was difficult. Um, because people when they listen to you every week and some cases obviously twice a week and now even more they, they do feel like they know you so for better or worse they can be very over familiar or they can be um pretty harsh um and you know interestingly like every single person i've met in person has been really lovely and been really nice but then i suppose they wouldn't come up to me if they didn't like me so that's probably a bit of a false narrative but in terms of online stuff uh, I just, if, if, to be honest, if, if people, I mean, I, I understand that you know the job I do, it's it just comes as part of the territory. Now I wish it didn't, and I'd rather not have it, but it is part of it. So I've got to decide to myself whether it's worth sticking with it and taking that on the chin. And I decided, I suppose, that it, that it is. But I know that I'm not realistically going to get every single person to like me that listens to me because that's just, um, you know, it's just impossible. You know, there are probably people out there who kind of hate David Attenborough, you know, and if it if, it, if they hate him then I haven't got much <laughs> chance, <either>. so, <laughs> yeah, you are, you'd be surprised. So I think um, there are corners of the internet that I won't go near because I just don't think it's a very good thing for me to be seeing, for me to be reading. And for me, for my mental health, uh, it's not, it's not going to be, you know, productive or conducive to a, to a happy life. So I am aware that there are aspects of the internet and parts of it that, are very critical to the point of unacceptably personal about me but i can't do anything about it so i prefer just to check out of it i mean yeah it's one of those things where you think if you can't lose the game if you don't play the game so i just don't play it and as for twitter and instagram and the social media stuff that i have chosen to, to interact with if i see anything or i i think of anything that does i don't really like i just mute and to be honest i don't feel any guilt about that even if someone sent me something that's meant in jest or i've misinterpreted it or whatever i'd still just mute it because my attitude is that it's my twitter feed right it's not i'm not it's not a public service i don't have to i'm not yeah. obliged to read your shit so i don't have to do that and if ultimately now i'm because i'm i'm, I'm approaching 40 and I think i've got a slightly different outlook on life than when i first started if it came to the point where it was just too difficult for me i would just delete it i would just get rid of it i would take myself out of it because i think i sometimes feel like i'm quite fortunate as far as i remember what life was like before social media and i remember what life was like before the internet and i got on fine so while i'm very grateful that um the success of what i've done has come in large part because of the internet i'm still happy to To check out of it if i need to um but so far my managing my my kind of coping strategy is to mute the stuff i don't like and just not venture into the areas of the internet that i don't think are going to be conducive to my uh, happiness
3: yeah i think that's actually a very healthy way of looking at it as well um because you often see it even with with players they they might get 60 messages saying played great today but they always seem to respond to the one negative of somebody might not even have
2: a profile picture Random yeah. username. Let's call them. A horrible but that's word. human nature, Ryan. Like that's just, yeah. just human nature. Like, if I, I would be exact, I'm exactly <coughs> the same, and I think most people are. If you if you if you go onto iTunes or whatever it is, or Apple Podcasts and read all the reviews of all the shows I've ever made, um I will scroll through them until I find one with one star. And go, what the fuck is that guy saying that for? You know, it's just yeah. it's just how it is, and and you can't yeah. change that. So your best thing to do is just to not worry about it.
0: Do you remember doing a Take Flight podcast?
2: Yeah, with Mark. Yeah, I
0: know Mark. Yeah, yeah he's a friend of so- mine. Yeah. I um, I downloaded it last year and, and kind of never really got around to listening to it until the other day actually. Rude. Oh right, you well, did listen to you? Yeah, I did listen to it <laughs> <laughs> Um so when I was listening to it, um it was really, really nice to hear, you know, you talk about your mental health and and going through what you went through and going to various different services that you used. And one of them was the that really struck me was the psychotherapy that you said you went to. Hmm um for around 18 months and i've been to, to very well to one therapist in my lifetime and i found it really really helpful but mm. i just wanted to try and pick your pick your brains a little bit about like why you went originally you don't have to go into too much detail but just tell us how hard that step was or was it hard for you
2: um First of all, I want to say that um, that Take Flight podcast uh, with Mark Whittle is, is a wicked, wicked show. And the reason I like it is Mark is a great guy. I only know him because I met him at an event, but he's a really lovely fella. And the reason I... Support him and the reason I wanted to go and do a show with him is because he's so authentic. Like, you don't get an awful lot of authenticity in this industry. And Mark is one of the most authentic people. He uses his own experiences to help other people, um, which I think is a really amazing thing. And it's much better than anything I've ever done because it's so authentic and so helpful. So that's why I wanted to do that. And I would say that anyone, obviously, after listening to your show, guys, after that, let you go and listen to his because he's, he's a really interesting guy uh, and he's real. Um, to to answer your second question, or no, to answer your main question, sorry. Um, <clears throat> to, to be honest, um, I've I've been someone who has, over the years as an adult, gone through ebbs and flows with my general mental health and with my happiness, and so every so often, um, and to be honest, not that often, and certainly not as often as as some people would 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 experience it. I do get these difficulties in terms of um my mental health i don't the problem is i kind of refrain from calling it depression because i don't really know if it is depression and i don't really know how fair that would be in comparison to how what other people go through but anyway so the most recent time that has happened to me was around um march april of 2015 and I, it was there's a number of different reasons why I think it probably happened one was involving the, the breakup of a long-term relationship um and I felt that what I should do is give myself the best chance of of recovering from it as quickly as possible and kind of take my own responsibility for it so I don't want people to think that I'm you know advising anything or you know, i'm not qualified to to advise other people but what what my outlook on it personally is and of course it will be very personal to each individual but for me i can accept that i'm not always going to feel brilliant and that sometimes i'm going to feel down and, and and the black dog's going to follow me around but what i can't accept in myself is not taking responsibility for my own life and what that did is give me a, sen- a semblance of control back and i thought that the reason i would go to therapist is partly because I was tired of experiencing these situations almost at random and not knowing when they were going to come along next and secondly because I think it would hopefully give me the long-term tools to deal with it going forward if I needed to and in terms of was it a difficult step to take to be honest I didn't find it that difficult because it was a personal decision that I didn't really share with anyone else for quite a long time so I, I knew enough about the psychotherapist the psychotherapy process to know that it would be a private thing And I didn't really see it as any different to going to the doctor with a with a health problem, a physical health problem. So um, I was fortunate enough to to go to a guy who lives quite near me and is a very well qualified um, man. I was also fortunate enough to be able to afford to pay it privately myself. Uh, And so I just didn't really see a downside in doing it. Um, So I didn't find the step that difficult to take. Although having said that, given that this this has happened to me for quite a long time, we're probably talking more decades than years it did take me quite a long time to do it so maybe subconsciously even i did have some kind of reticence but um when, when i finally made the decision it wasn't a tough it wasn't a tough step
0: that's really really good to hear and funny you should say um just picking up on your points about uh, not calling depression uh or, or giving it a name yourself just calling it kind of like a low period of Hmm. Life. Well, it's worth um,
2: pointing out, Anthony. Sorry to interrupt, but my therapist at the time did did call it depression. He uh, did call it depression.
0: Was that something you were comfortable with, or did you not really agree? Um, because I I know I've been told I've got it, but I don't really agree. Or it's been mentioned to me, and I don't really agree. I don't really see it as that.
2: Well, to, to be honest, I feel I feel I feel like he he was the and he is the you know the ex the professional in his field and the the situation I was in and the, the state of mind I was in I I didn't really feel like I had the strength to argue with it or to dwell on it too much I just thought okay well you know kind of is what it is and 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 just just get on with it I mean I I, I looking back on it I don't think I really questioned it because I didn't think it was really on my radar to question it I just wanted to to kind of work on it really and Just going
0: into i'll I'll tell you a little bit about my story as well around when i was 22 i went through a a similar period where i've like really low moods and really bad anxiety to the point where i was off work for a little bit um but actually what happened was is that i kind of ignored that i needed to go and see someone i went to the doctor but i never went any further than that um but the thing that actually got me back into it which is going to sound like i'm and kissing up to you is I, I needed something to drown it out in work. And I, I needed I worked in a, a medical records department, which was a dusty basement carrying files around that have been around since 1980. And it was the ramble <laughs> that actually got me there.
2: Oh, um, it's embarrassing was, for me to hear that.
0: It's <laughs> <laughs> really it me to say so. I thought it might be, but it, it it was the it was the ramble that got me there. I, I mean, at first I'd listened to the cricket in the morning and then when that was finished, i'd need something so i went to the ramble um hmm. do you get that a lot in your line of work do you ever get those those nice messages because we spoke before about the the bad stuff on social media but yeah it must be nice to hear all the good messages as well you know you've got yeah there's thousands on twitter yeah 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 so
2: yeah people people get in touch say love the show and it's helped them through difficult times sometimes because i suppose it's almost a Yeah, it's a comedy show, isn't it? So people like to laugh and to be have a bit of escapism. I I do wish, I mean, not just for my own ego, but just generally speaking, I do wish that um, people would take the time to tell people when they like something. You know, I'd make a real real, um, effort to do that. I'd try and contact people if I've enjoyed their stuff as, as often as I can. And you'll be surprised, like, how often you get a reply. I mean, I've emailed authors and writers of TV shows and told them that um how much i love their stuff and in some cases it's even ended up in me being like us having like a, almost like a, a friendship off the back of it because it does mean an awful lot to people to know that you know there are people out there who love their stuff people are very very quick to complain about something yeah you know, how many times how, how many people do you know that have ever written a letter or sent an email to a restaurant because i've had a lovely time i bet you don't know anyone but how many no. do you know that have complained to a restaurant everyone ah, has yeah, so like we, so you, it'd be really helpful i think the world would be a better place if we could tip that balance and and and, and tell people because it does really mean an awful lot because sometimes it's, it's you know it's, it's a great job to have but sometimes it's a lot of hard work and to hear that people really enjoy it is, is a great thing and it gives you a real boost you know and one of the other things we wanted
0: to kind of touch on uh, you know obviously you've been mates with, with the guys you work with and the women you work with as well for quite a long time now um what's that friendship like is it, is it still as strong as it ever was, or is there a little bit different now that you're a bit more professional?
2: Um, that's a really good question. I've got to be careful what I say here because I don't want to – not because I don't like any of the people I work with, but just that I think what's happened is because our show, when it first came out, was so different, there wasn't really anything else around like it. And to a lot of people, it kind of came from nowhere, and I understand that. And I think what human beings are really good at is is almost – pigeonholing something into an area they can understand and then later on kind of backfilling in that narrative about how it became what it became that's why when at the start when I was talking um to to Dan or Ryan I forget which when I said that, you know there was no real ambition or no plan for this it just kind of happened I think what's happened with the ramble over the years is that it's been pigeonholed as this thing that oh it's just these originally it's just these four mates and the show great because they're such good mates well that's that's been overplayed. And the reason I say that is not because I'm you know, embarrassed to be friends with those guys because they are good friends of mine. But when we first started the show, we weren't that good friends. I hadn't seen Marcus consistently for about five years. i had never met Jim really before. He was at, he was at university with me, but he was a year behind me. I never really knew him. I Marcus and Jim had never met Pete before he came into the show. I only knew Pete because I knew his girlfriend. We weren't we weren't like amazing best pals. We lived in the house together. It it kind of evolved over time. We knew each other well enough to be comfortable around each other, but we got to know each other through the show. And I think that part of the thing that's missed about the football ramble over those years, and I'll come on to the football ramble daily a bit in a minute. The thing that's been missed over the, the football ramble thing, and the secret I think, is you're not hearing four friends on a show having a laugh you're hearing four people become friends on a show and you're coming along on that journey with them. I, I don't mean to be high-minded about it because it's only a podcast at the end of the day, but you don't, and this is hopefully as self-aggrandizing as I get, and I hope this doesn't come across as arrogant. You, you don't get 13 years down the line by being friends with people you on a show. You get there because you're good at it and because you work hard at it, and that's been a far more important element than any kind of friendship we did or didn't have. But on the football ramble daily thing, and just just to, to finish off that point, because it's obviously a slightly different thing now with other people involved. Yeah, we have we have a team on there and off there for football ramble daily, of about um, what is it? Probably about ten to twelve people, and we do have. I mean, it's, it's it's applied more strictly to those of us who think about it a bit more deeply than others. But we do have like a proper no dickheads policy, and if someone's a dickhead in the office or on the studio, or whatever, they'll be told by one or more of us and it happens to all of us from time to time but the most important thing is we don't hire people who are dickheads and, and who don't work hard and don't do what they say they're going to do and we don't but but crucially when people do make a dick of themselves or, or make a mistake or lose their temper whatever and i'm as guilty as, as most people if not more so we don't hold a grudge against them for doing it we just get on with it we say well, no worries let's crack on so it is, it is really important that you enjoy working with the people you work with and people like Jules and Andy and Jonathan and uh, Lars and the people who've come in and all, And that's not to mention all the people who, who, who work twice as hard as anyone else and who aren't even on the shows um, we, it, there is a thought process in there about the people we want to work with and the people we don't and if they don't satisfy the idea that they're going to be good hard-working people but, but more importantly really really nice Respectful people—they won't just—they just won't work with us. It's as simple as that. So there's, that stuff has to be thought about too.
0: I assume that keeps that quite organic feel to the show as well. I mean, you've gone to six days a week, brought other people in, and it still feels that jovial kind of format.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important to make charismatic. Um, look, By the way, when I say all this stuff, I'm not trying to make out that that's what we always do and we always get it right. But what I'm talking about is what we're striving to achieve. And mm-hmm. what we're stri- we don't always get there. But What we're trying to do is we're trying to make accessible, interesting, charismatic shows. So for my I I, I kind of take responsibility for a lot of the on-air content for, for with Daily. That's how I see my job. And I'm personally... This is a personal opinion, not the opinion of everyone at at the the place. But I personally don't have any interest in um, in sticking four beardy blokes who are just going to talk about stats for an hour every week. To me, that's just not interesting. I want it to be an interesting show that people want to listen to because they are entertained by it. So it might be a case where I say to... Jonathan or Andy or whoever, look, that's great. I'm really impressed by your knowledge. You obviously know what you're talking about. But why do I fucking care about that? Why do listeners care about that? What is interesting about that? Tell me. Yet, There's a great guy I work with. He's a producer called Patrick. And he says to people, and I've seen him, he said to me before, that's great, Luke, but that's vanilla ice cream our listeners want fucking chocolate ice cream so what have you got that's better than that what can you give them that they're going to remember and that's really important in radio that, that you i dare say Anne, if you're a big fan of football around daily and you say that it's helped you through some tough times it isn't going to have helped you through some tough times if it was just me reading stats about fucking swiss left backs you know it's going to it needs to be more than that you know
0: i think i would have fell asleep if it was that to be honest well, to be fair you've probably
2: done your first show sleeping through our shows as well most people are
0: <laughs> um just going back to to the relationship with the with with that group um is that a, a group of people who a workplace of people who are comfortable telling each other how they feel uh
2: yeah to be honest i think it is actually i think um we we've we've built up some relationships over the years particularly the original five of us that's been pretty hard fought and pretty hard won and we've gone through a lot of experiences together we've been through disappointments we've been through a lot of travel a lot of um you know, bunking down in, in far-flung places together. And, and we've built up a relationship over time where I do feel comfortable. I can't speak on behalf of the other guys. You'd have to ask them. But I do feel comfortable chatting to those guys about things I need to chat about. And um, I think we've learned some lessons along the way. I don't think we've always been perfect in our support for each other because that would be impossible. But we do try our best. And I think we're much better at it now than we have been in the past. And I think that applies, or hopefully that applies across all of the people we work with, whether they're on the shows or not. And and the, the really crucial thing here that goes hand in hand with that, and I think is is, is essentially one of honesty. So whether it's honesty about how you feel, honesty about whether you're having a bad day, or honesty if you've made a mistake. What I really want as a colleague to these people is I want to know honesty, the honesty of how they're feeling and what they want to do, and that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. And if people do that, you can't really go far wrong, but it is really important to be open and really um, have a kind of open door and open mind policy about listening to people as well. Because um, us broadcasters, we we love talking, but we don't always love listening, and that's something I always try and make a, a conscious effort to 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 be a, to be what I, what we call like an active listener. But again, it don't always you don't always do it. You don't always perfect, but you're always trying to do it.
0: No, I don't think anyone will always be perfect, but that openness allows us to to get to a place where we can be close
2: to perfect as we can be really i definitely and and you know what And i think also like it's absolutely right but i'm not sitting i'm not standing here talking to you telling you that i have never been a dickhead (laughs) i've been i've been an absolute dickhead over the years to people like not on purpose like the people i respect and the people i like the last thing i want to do is be a dickhead to them but you know jim jim campbell or often says oh you know it feels a a bit like a family you know and sometimes you really do you know, you go out and you hurt the people that you love because, you know, you are frustrated or you feel close to them and you feel like you can get away with it. But ultimately, I've, I've never, ever thought that their intentions have been dishonest or that they don't they don't respect it. They don't because I know they respect it because they work so hard at it all the time that they they must respect it. So once you put that to one side, it's it's kind of a bit easier
0: and luke you mentioned before about traveling up and down the country and and traveling pretty much to, to different continents now as well as the show's grown yeah
2: um,
0: you're married uh, recently aren't you uh three and a half years
2: so it depends how you look at it, <laughs> it my not wife would like to... probably say it feels like a lot longer so you might want to ask her
0: but <laughs> well, one of the things we picked up on was um from we spoke with carl Kerr on our first podcast and one of the things we picked up on was um, the importance of women in in, in a relation, in relationships and around us, you know, whether it be your mother, your girlfriend, your sister, and just appreciating those people. So with you traveling to different continents and I think your, your wife's American, is she? Yes. So at times there would have been, I assume there would have been times where you're spending quite a bit of time apart. How important is that relationship? you, You know, opening up to, to someone else who can give you just that different viewpoint to just change it and flick the light bulb on. Yeah, I think,
2: well, I mean she's my wife, so I'd probably be in a bit of trouble if us said it wasn't that important. Um <laughs> so it's very important. <laughs> um and also because it you know it actually is. I, I wouldn't want to go into into too much depth about my wife as a person because it's just, she hasn't she hasn't chosen to do this and it's not not my place to do that um without her permission. But but in terms of our, our relationship and and how it works. I mean, yeah, it's vitally important that we we did eighteen months uh, living three and a half thousand miles apart from our from each other, and that was a really tough time. And and what that does is that makes you really appreciate the good times when you are together. And obviously, we, we've been living together for a, a decent while now. We've been married for three and a half years. What women are, in my experience, generally speaking, are is a lot more emotionally mature than men. So I find that she's able to give me a you good know, kick up the ass when i need it and tell me when i'm being a dickhead which is you know a few times a day uh, but she also supports me as well and and, and understands <clears throat> the things that are important to me and that most of the stuff i do is to is to build a good life for both of us and for our, for our family and and so she's, she's pretty accepting and pretty tolerant when i have to take a phone call at like 7 30 on a friday night when we're out for dinner and because that's just how it is and and so yeah it's it's, it's vitally important i've i've found um being married an amazing thing it's like a real it's been one of the pleasures of my life because it's been so rewarding and, and you feel like a real team and you can really take things on together and you can find out that you're much greater as a, as a team than you are individually and she's got different strengths and and that complement me and hopefully i've got some strengths to bring to the table as well and yes yeah, it's, it's, it's great but, but by the way I'm not, but that doesn't mean that you can't have an amazing rewarding interesting life when you're not married i mean i just think for me it works it works well and i can only speak on behalf of myself
0: that's excellent and just finally um we'll go back to football and um, which is what we love
2: safer ground isn't it for me yeah hopefully, <laughs> we won't get in trouble and talk about football
0: <laughs> so my final question is going to be do you think football's a good vehicle to be a, a release of any stress or any worries um, in that any person would have do you think that still is a, able to be a good release for people what is that is that
2: between you mean playing or, or, or watching just, or what, what do you mean all of it so playing
0: watching listening
2: well it's clear that it's clear to me that exercise regularly and, and competitive sport particularly is very very good for, for my mental health and again I know I keep saying this so I apologize if I'm boring on I, I really can only speak on behalf of myself and I've only got interest in speaking on behalf of myself because that's the most important thing to, to do. Um, for me, compared to sports, has been a huge part of my life for a long time, and, and exercise regularly is important to me. Uh, it definitely goes hand in hand with, with good mental health. So that's that's point number one. In terms of, of watching sport, it's escapism, isn't it? It's supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to be enjoyable. I do have a, a kind of long-held belief that a lot of football fans, in quotes, um channel their anger through sport and through the football team that they support which i don't think is right i don't think is the right way of doing things um but then we have to look at the society that we've developed and 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 the way that we treat and bring up particularly young men in this country has a lot of problems attached to it and if you pile pressure and pressure and pressure onto people well it's going to go somewhere so there's a lot of um a lot of issues around that. I think some of the behaviour for particularly young men in football stadiums is unacceptable. I've said it before. I I, I don't think people should have have an excuse to behave in the way that they behave just because they're in a football stadium. And I'm not just talking about racism or sexism or homophobia. Those things are obviously deplorable, but I'm talking about general standards of behaviour. The world will not be a worse place if people just hold themselves up to a higher standard and behave the way they would behave out on the street in a football stadium treat each other with respect. And I don't think that would be a detriment to the atmosphere because it doesn't mean you can't sing songs and have a laugh and have a crack and a joke and that, that stuff could all still exist. So I do have concerns generally about um, how football is used as an outlet for people's anger. But then on the other hand, maybe I'm just you know, an old cantankerous fool who just likes to have a moan. I don't know.
1: Do you feel as though that there's there's an issue with dismissal of sort of non Ex pro commentators on the game by people who are ex pros, and that's—I often wondered if that's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a masculinity thing, a bit of a, you know, yeah. an insecurity thing, almost.
2: Obviously, doing this job and the, over the time I've done it, and in, in the way that I've I've had to do it, you, you develop, a, you, you experience a lot of different types of encounters with lots of different types of people in in football. I'm just talking about in in football now, uh, and when we talked about maybe years and years ago before we had any kind of access or or um, relationship at all with any kind of establishment figures and by that i mean kind of mainstream media people footballers themselves managers people in the game i think there were a lot of assumptions cast by us as young impressionable men um about what it would be like and what i found when i made the transition if i if i'm allowed to be bold enough to call that into the more mainstream stuff that I now do in the mainstream product, I guess, that the Football Round or Daily is now, you kind of realize fairly quickly that what you're going to have to do in this industry is you're just going to have to take people on face value as you find them. Because people are so opinionated and because there's so many masculine voices, so many alpha males, so many different attitudes and people are trying to get ahead and people are trying to succeed on their own terms and do their own thing. You can't really afford to listen to anyone else. So going into this, I would have said that pundits are this or footballers are that, or ex-pros are this and that. And actually, my I have to say, my experiences with fellow broadcasters, fellow pundits, ex-pros, pros, has been not universally positive, but it's certainly been more positive than I expected. And it's certainly been more positive than negative. So, so um what I have found is that going from doing what I do regularly as my business into something like radio or lesser, in lesser terms, TV, but mostly radio because that's what I do the most of, and um, you do have to kind of fight to be respected, and you do have to earn the respect by showing that you know what you're talking about, by showing that you work hard, by showing that you're a, you know, you're you're a good egg, and you work, and you and you, and you know, you're um, comfortable in that environment, you know your stuff, and all that kind of stuff after that after that initial period though i do find that people are generally pretty tolerant now i know that i'm speaking from a position of privilege there because i'm a white man a straight white man who's never gonna really experience any real prejudice so i've probably got it easy on that front but ultimately i I do think or i like to think particularly in my own experience that most people are quite nice and quite respectful and quite friendly like the, the, the people at Talksport I work with regularly. I mean, honestly, you could count on one hand the amount of people that aren't completely sound and, and really nice and respectful. And it's not what I expected to happen at all. I thought it'd be a bit of a bear pit, but oh it isn't actually like that at all. It's actually been very positive.
1: That's actually that's really nice to hear it. it and often I, I often wonder if it's the, the perception might be the perception might be different than it sounds just though it is. Um,
2: but what I would say, Dan, is like, I mean, ultimately, if I see people behaving in a way that I find unacceptable in a workplace to a junior member of staff or to a woman or to a production member, of production staff or whatever, I will say that. I, I will step up and say, look, no, no, you can't do that. Like if I see someone being, there's there's certain players, like I say, it's not university positive. There are certain players who, again, I don't think it would be professional for me to name, so I won't. But there are certain players who I have seen be disrespectful to staff. And I've said, and to be fair, it's not just been me. There's been other people around who've kind of backed us all up, who've said that. By the way, you can't fucking behave like that. You can't do that. And they are generally speaking, they are pretty good at stopping that happening because it's just it's just ultimately totally corrosive long term. You can't you won't be able to hold them to any staff, and it's not an environment you want to foster. So even if it's just a self preservation way of saying, look, we can't have this happening because our business won't be successful. Generally speaking, particularly these days, and I've noticed the change in the last ten years or so. It's, it's honestly got so much better. It really has.
1: Do you need to be tough to be able to survive that type of environment as well?
2: Yes, 100%. And I think the reason for that is because I think it applies to any industry where you want to get to a good level at. So people can can, can make their own decisions about what I do and how I do it and whether they like it or not. But there cannot be any debate that I work, You know, for example, i created and I work on the largest independent football show in the country. That's a fact. And I work on talk sport, which is a national radio com- uh, station. And it's the biggest sports station I think in the world. So those things are fact, right? You haven't got to worry about what my opinion on that is. That's a fact, right? So that's quite, I mean, I think we, hopefully we could agree that's the decent, a decent level, right? Let's just say it's a decent level. Yeah. You can't get to that level and you can't maintain that level without having a really strong mentality. And the reason for that is, you are going to suffer knockbacks and you are going to suffer mistakes and you are going to encounter people who are trying to get ahead of you or try to do better than you, uh, who are going to try and drag you down, knock you back, make you feel um, bad because they want to av- advance themselves. And if you can't deal with that, you'll, ju- you'll just get eaten up. I mean, you, you honestly, you'll get eaten up. And and, and one of the things that um, people misconceive, I think about footballers is, is that when they play a football match, they're playing against their opposite number. They want to better their opposite number, right? If all the players on one team play better than all the players on the other team, that team will probably win. But people misunderstand. They're not just doing that. What they're also doing is keeping the other guy who plays on their team out of the team as well. So what it does is it breeds and it fosters this amazing environment where, where it can be very cutthroat and it can be very difficult, but people, it essentially rewards high-achieving, hard-working, mentally um, very stable uh, athletes Well, it's the same at any high performing operation like if, if you take a radio station for example if you're doing the big flagship breakfast show on a radio station but it's a bit talk sport's a bit of an anomaly because of the people who work at talk sport but generally speaking say it's five live or whatever every single person at that place who's on the air wants to be on the breakfast show it's the biggest show so they're going to take any opportunity they can to do it and it doesn't matter how much they like you It doesn't matter how much fr- how friendly they are with you it doesn't matter if you've had dinner the night before or you've been out for beers every saturday night they'll still take your job so you have to be absolutely prepared to be mentally tough enough to keep um, and be confident enough at least outwardly to keep performing at the best level you can it's honestly it's so important it's really important
1: and it i wondered if it may be one of those things where not so much the it's a weak mentality or, or, or you know, not strong enough mentally or if it's, it's a personality thing and it's very difficult to get somewhere in that type of environment if you've not got the right personality for it. And I wonder if football, and the say maybe in, in media as well, if it doesn't foster those type of personalities, if you see what I mean.
2: Yeah, so I think in football, that's absolutely the case. I think my limited experience of of working alongside players and and talking to players and interviewing them and, and, and speaking to people who know them intimately and stuff, I don't think football's tolerant enough to different types of character. I think that's absolutely correct. I agree with you there. If you're a sensitive young kid, Um, And I've done a couple of bits on Adrian Doherty, which you may or may not have seen, who was a great, talented player in the early 90s at Man United. And his face just didn't fit, and he couldn't deal with the environment he was thrust into. And I've spoken to players who played with him, and I've spoken to Ollie Kay, who wrote his biography. And he said that football was not set up, wasn't set up for that type of character. Even though he had all the talent in the world, even though it was generally accepted that he was as talented, if not more talented than Ryan Giggs, he was never going to succeed because they couldn't tolerate and accommodate his type of personality. Now, some people would argue that's still the case now. I, I, if I interview players now, I'm struck quite regularly at how similar they all are in terms of character. Mm. They're all very, very sensible. I dare say, without being disrespectful, by our standards, they're quite boring. They don't really do much. And they're all very, very comfortable in their own skin. know, the amount of times you come away from an interview with a top player and think, God, he is the most self-confident person I've ever seen. um, that's that clearly is still the case. Now, I think a lot of strides have been made, particularly when it comes to taking people from other cultures and other countries and and helping them fit in. But on the media side, I think it's slightly different just purely because what I was talking about a second ago was a sports radio station, which naturally is going to be packed with ex-sports players it's quite masculine, although they have done a great job, I think, in in trying to diversify as much as they can. I just think that if you didn't fit in at somewhere like there, there's enough other options for you to fit in somewhere else. Whereas in football, I don't that's obviously not the case, right? Because football's just a, a, a one industry where if you're, you're either good at football or you're not, and if you're good enough and you want to be a pro athlete at it, it's not realistic to say we'll just go and find another sport. But it is realistic to say look, if, if that broadcasting outlet there, whatever it may be, doesn't quite fit in how you are you'll find a home somewhere else. I think there are always options for you there. Like for example, like, and it works both ways, right? Radio 4 are never going to touch me, are they? I don't sound like I should be on Radio 4. I'm never going to get a job there. But it doesn't mean I can't get a job somewhere else. So I think just more, there are more options in the media industry, I think.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting really. I think that thing you said there about footballers often come across sort of quite similar in their, in their sort of very comfortable in their own skin, very self-confident. And I wonder if that's the thing then for people who aren't self-confident, who aren't comfortable in their own skin, it sticks out like a sore thumb because yeah. everyone else is so, they're so focused. But, but and Dan, really-
2: what it also does is it kind of, well, I've, I've interviewed ex-players who are who are, I, I sincerely think, and in some cases they've even admitted, they've only really been able to become themselves after they finish playing football. Mm. There's one or two that I can think of who are completely eccentric characters that you would never think of when you saw them playing football. But I think it's just because football conditions you to not be like that and to not let your, um, and not let your personality shine through too much. Of course, there are obvious exceptions to that. The real, the real kind of mercurial kind of talented ones and the real kind of renegades. But generally speaking, it's kind of beating out of you, not literally, but because it's a team game, because you're, you're brought up to think that what's really important is the team and doing your bit for the team that kind of interesting side of people's personalities is something that I don't think football is interested in and it wants you to, 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 to conform. And it's not, it's probably in one way it's worse now because the show, because the game is so much more professional, but it's also, it's also better because um, people, people have to fit into that kind of mold. Do you think that's healthy
1: for, for, you know, if you go into that environment and you're, you don't fit in or you have to, change your you know innate personality so much to be able to fit in Do you think that's why you know you see a lot of footballers come out of the game and have problems with you know as we say you know mental health problems depression you know money issues uh you know addictions and that sort of thing do you think there's a because the game wants you to be a certain way You're going to have to either be that way or learn to be that way. Otherwise, it's not going to happen for you.
2: Um, It's a difficult question to answer because I think to an extent, people join football clubs and become professional footballers at such a young age, I don't even know if their character is properly formed anyway. So Mm. they're going to to be moulded by it. I mean, I wouldn't honestly say my character was fully formed as an adult until I was in my late 20s, probably. imagine many people are the same but at that time you're you're a veteran senior pro so people are going to be molded by their own environments um and and also i mean it's worth pointing out that we all love football and we're big football fans and, and obviously i i mean i hope i'm not casting too many assumptions on on the three of you but i imagine you all would have quite liked to have been professional footballers and i'm the same i i I don't think football as a as a job is is necessary the be all and end all and the only way people can go. I mean, you don't if you don't. I don't want to sound too kind of old school or too old fashioned here, but I mean, it is worth remembering from time to time. If you don't if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. And if you don't fit in, um, no one's making you do it. So i think there are certain types of character that are well suited to certain jobs yeah i wouldn't want pete donaldson to fucking pilot my plane for example <laughs> does, that, does, does that mean that the aeronautical industry the, air, the aircraft industry needs to the aviation industry needs to you know, bend over backwards to accommodate people like pete Dawson. i, I, mean, I say, personally pr- pr-
1: think any 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 environment that doesn't want pete in it then it needs to be seriously questioned <laughs> let's so, yeah.
2: see if, let's see if you're saying that when when you're when you're about to take off and he's just come over on the pilot on the uh, on the pa system <laughs> I, I think you understand my point like it, it, it's not it's clearly their tolerance is important and the different types of ca- character and, and different backgrounds it needs to be tolerating and accommodate to an extent but I don't think we should shy away from the idea that not everyone is suited to every job you know
1: um, yeah what I was going to say was I can remember being about 14 and coming home in from football training in the back of um the back of one of my mate's mum's car and, and she was going to. So she's going oh I was training and, and she went to, and I remember her saying something like well none of you are going to actually make it so it doesn't really matter does it?" And I, I, I still to this day remember that moment, and it absolutely broke my heart. And it was, oh, really? it was really difficult. And even till very recently, I've struggled with the almost that thing of feeling like you've missed an opportunity or not taken advantage of something that was that you were you were born to do. Almost, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And now, having throughout doing this podcast and speaking to ex footballers and people who've worked close to the game. And what you just said there resonated so much i think i personality wise i don't think i'd have been good in that environment i don't think i've got the right you know the the right makeup for it and
2: yeah.
1: looking at it now as you know i'm 27 now and i and, I, and i've got a job that i enjoy and, and, and all the rest of it and think i fucking hated to be a footballer it looks horrible it looks horrible for, for me i just think i just wouldn't have been able to deal with it and it's interesting yeah. that people don't I think a lot of the time look and think, oh, that looks like a great, great job to do. And I bet you know, in a lot of ways it's amazing, but if you've not if, if if you're not the right personality for it, it would be an incredibly difficult environment to be amongst.
2: Well it's an incredibly regimented environment and it's and it's something that takes a bit of getting used to because you're not in charge of your own decisions and your own destiny a lot of the time. And and for some people that um that wouldn't work. I mean Pete, as I mentioned Pete a second ago, Pete's always said to me, oh, I would hate to be a professional footballer, i never want to do that. I can never go on holiday. I can never do what I want to do. Yeah. I have to be somewhere at a certain time. It's just not his personality and you know and, and you're not going to you're not going to convince me that the industry needs to change because certain types of character don't fit in. Now what what I do think is a shame and what I do think shouldn't happen is if someone isn't getting the support they need because the, the industry doesn't want to provide it. And that's a slightly different point. I mean, the Adrian Doherty point I made earlier is just that he was a very sensitive, very quiet lad, and he'd like to spend his time on his own. And he didn't fit in the large group of people, but that didn't mean he didn't have the dedication or the drive or the hard work or the ability. It just meant he felt like a fish out of water in that situation. And I think personally on that in that case, he should have been supported. But it's a, it's a murky area because you're always gonna get people who don't achieve. And sometimes those people are gonna find um, things to blame for that lack of achievement. And I'm, I can tell you now why I wasn't a professional footballer. And that's because I've known when they're good enough at football to be one. Now I could blame other people for that if I wanted, but it'd be completely pointless because it's not true. So it doesn't. I, I mean, as I said to, um, to Anne earlier, like with, with this mental health thing, with the fact that men need to open up and talk to each other more, I completely agree. And it's really important. It's something I try to do. And that's something I try and support in terms of a principle. But I don't think that should happen at the behest of taking responsibility for myself. But responsibility for yourself is a really important thing because it's a really empowering empowering thing. Like, don't go in... The thing is, I said earlier, about when it goes like going to doing regular exercise, don't do that for other people. Don't do regular exercise because you think other people want to see you be skinny so you don't get looked at. Do regular exercise for yourself. Do this stuff for yourself because it gives you empowerment. It gives you responsibility and you can take a lot of joy and a lot of pride in it. That's really important as well
1: you know you were saying um you've had sort of spells in your life when you've gone through these lower spells that maybe you you hadn't quite realized what it was or how to deal with it when you were younger at this point now in your life as you say nearing 40 you know would you look what would you say to your younger self about about those periods you know if you could talk to yourself and say you know this is what you should do or this is where you would go if you could maybe a that with it earlier or sooner or in a different way?
2: I think it's a really good question. I think one of the things that I feel, I feel like I've learned is that one of the biggest sources of unhappiness is a lack of acceptance for the situation you're in. So you get depression or, or disappointment or, or you feel down and, and that's, that just happens and it can happen for a number of reasons. It can happen due to events or it can happen just because of the you know the chemical makeup of your brain or whatever. But that's one thing, right? And that happens. But the, what, to me, is one of the most severe causes of, of 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 unhappiness is this kind of lack of acceptance. So what I mean by that is, if I feel depressed, or or to take it into a more kind of physical idea, if I've got, I mean, last week I had a really sore back all week, right? And it was fucking annoying, and it was really painful, and I was a moody prick about it the whole time, and it made my job hard, it made my life hard. Now. There was two parts of that. One was that I've got a bad back and it was painful and it was annoying. And the other part of it was I couldn't get out of my head the idea that I didn't want to have a bad back. Right. So I wasn't accepting the situation. Now, I firmly believe that happiness, the key to happiness is in acceptance. So it doesn't mean you ride along and just let the winds of change take you wherever they take you. What it means is you say, this is my situation now. I accept it. Uh, I, I understand it. And the sooner you accept it, I feel like the sooner you make your first step on to kind of getting past it. So with, to go circle back to your question, Dan, on the kind of depression stuff that comes along in waves sometimes in my life, the thing I would teach my younger self is, look, accept it. It's not. It's not, the, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, It's bad, it's horrible, it doesn't feel great, you feel like shit, but accept it because ultimately these are just thoughts, this is just a mindset, it'll pass, just let yourself accept it and the quicker you accept it, the quicker you can move beyond it Uh, because a lot of the source of unhappiness in my life has been fighting against it, saying I don't want to feel like this, this is really annoying me, it's upsetting me that I feel like this and I can't get out of my mind the fact that I don't want to feel like that anymore. As soon as I accept it, I start my process towards getting past it.
1: So, welcome back. I'm still here with, with Ant and Ryan. Interestingly enough, Luke mentioned there that the Ramble has a, a no dickheads policy, which does make me wonder how Ryan and Ant got onto this particular podcast. Oh,
3: wow. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be there, Ant? Yeah,
0: it's not fair, that, is it?
1: No, I'm only joking.
3: Okay, sure you are. But um, in all seriousness, though, he did touch on... Um, to doctors and, and seeing somebody when he, he had a bit of a difficult period and as someone who you both look up to him and you've both mentioned on the show before that you've had your own experiences seeking out professional help. Um, what did you take from that and how did that differ from, from both of your experiences? Uh, so it kind of makes you
0: feel normal, which is a really weird word to use, but it makes you feel like someone else has gone through this, so I'm happy that someone else is experiencing these things, which is really weird, but it, in my head, it makes kind of sense. Um, my experience originally of going to the doctors and saying, look, I've got a problem. Um, can you help me with with it? Was was really good. Was the first instance I went, it wasn't um, followed up with any like private professional help. It was um, just purely going to the doctors every couple of weeks and, and speaking to them. And um, my second experience of it was a bit weird. Um, I think with the way you you know, you don't normally get to see the same doctor twice, uh, the way it works at the moment. Um, so I was seeing someone new, um and it was kind of a, it was a it was a male doctor, so it was kind of the best way I can describe this is have you ever seen Toy Soldiers
1: where um, <laughs> the evil one for the, kids are, there, Bob. one for the kids
0: yeah yeah the evil ones are, are are quite like regimented and really like tough and get on with it and, and blah 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 he, he looked like um tommy lee jones's character and that um and he it just didn't work so when i went back again i saw someone else and um they took it more into account and it wasn't really until i, I spoke to, to danny about it who gave me a number of, of someone who could help me um that i actually took that, that leap and. And when you go in and and, and you know you start talking to someone it's very very surprising how quickly you open up to them because they don't know anything about you so you have kind of got to set the scene um and they ask like sort of really insightful questions really easy questions and just the overall atmosphere just you come out of it and you've got a completely different mindset um you know you feel a little bit like someone's taking a weight off your shoulders it's not fixed but you know that you're going around the right path and i think that feeling is is really really good it's, it's a feeling that's quite like no other
3: and just before you answer Dan, just on that answer you've just mentioned there that dan gave you a a number for somebody so quite clearly we for people who don't know you danny's one of your best friends you've obviously been comfortable enough to open up to danny was that easier than maybe speaking to your girlfriend or speaking to your family or even a doctor? Uh,
0: It was easier than speaking to my family about it. Um, it, I think the only hard bit of speaking to my family about it was speaking to my dad. Um, I don't know why. Um, It wasn't that he wouldn't understand it. It was just, I think you build these things up to be, you know these relationships within families to be like uh, you've got to be like a, a, a man basically so it was quite hard um i actually remember the last time i think this time last year or coming up to this time last year the only thing i wanted to do was go and hug my dad and go i'm, I'm not well here I, I don't feel well can you help me um so to do that was really really difficult um but it wasn't hard as soon as i did it 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 was it just felt stupid that I, i would go and hide that from
3: him so yeah i think that's that's true that mate i think there's there's hierarchies in all different versions of your life there's the social hierarchy there's the hierarchy within your family structure there's hierarchies in work and showing weakness in any part of your life is a scary thing to do And it's not a weakness saying you're feeling unwell but it's a perceived weakness probably in your own mind that is the reaction going to be good? Or is the perception of me going to change? Is it going to think less of me? And it's quite rarely the that is the out, the, the fallout of, of somebody opening up. It's normally the opposite and you get a really positive reaction, but you don't tell yourself that before you go into that conversation. You probably felt that butterflies in your stomach as you approached your dad to tell them, didn't you? And it, it's not an easy conversation to have, but it's a necessary conversation if you've got that support network around you. You're better off using it
0: absolutely yeah and it's just absolutely surprising as well you know how well that support network works you sit there often and go wow oh, they won't know what i'm going through and that might be right but they can help you to understand because there's someone else there listening so that kind of alleviates any any issues and any uh, bad thoughts and bad little webs of thoughts
3: that you have and how did that differ for you dan and your experience
1: no, it, it, it's interesting really I, I my experience is slightly different than the than, than and that's purely just because we're, we're we're different people and and i would imagine that i've i think i've probably spoken to both of you in different times um about kinds of some of the 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 the, the troubles and and whatever you that have that, that have i've kind of had over the past probably come to a head more over the past few years um the like the days, I'm probably not told anybody the extent of it, uh, and that probably includes my therapist in that as well. Um, whilst a lot of the stuff that we've discussed has helped and and it it's it's put a lot of things into context for me and has allowed me to start putting techniques into place to be able to tackle the things that cause me some problems. But even my uh, even my partner who who you know, we've we've lived together for for a couple of years now, and and she's probably the person I feel com- most comfortable around. I probably haven't even told her the extent to it, and that's likely, I would imagine, just because I find it quite difficult to verbalise how I feel. Um, which probably is quite surprising to anyone who knows me, because I don't generally stop talking for most of the day. Um, which in some ways is probably a way of masking how I'm feeling in terms of my position where it kind of differed quite significantly from ants was as him and him and Luke discussed was that they didn't want a label putting on it. Whereas for me, and I don't know if this is purely just cause in the, my sort of family background and what have you is I, I'd quite like a label. I'd quite like to understand in a, in a, a roundabout way, what it is that, that is causing me to feel this way. Um, you know, I, I, I take antidepressants and I, I take, uh, blockers for for panic attacks as well and 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 it's it's whilst i have been trying to actively engage in it the more you engage with something the sometimes the scarier it can become which then for me feels as though in a way i've maybe retreated from it you know i feel like i've done i've I've had a go at dealing with it you know this is just how it is and to a certain extent i do think there is something in accepting that this thing isn't going away and that you are just going to have to live with something but it's about putting things in place to be able to live with it to the best of your ability. And one of the things that Luke mentioned was about how his therapy had given him the tools to be able to deal with it. And the the therapy that I've that I've had has given me those tools to a certain extent. Um but as I mentioned to you both before we started recording that I've had a a referral from from my own doctor to see a psychiatrist, which will hopefully give me some kind of some kind of answers which is which is what i'm seeking um i don't know whether that'll help or not but that's kind of just the the approach that i've had but
3: yeah interesting mate interesting but good to see that you've you're aware of it as you are to the point where you can then seek the best possible help for you which it sounds like what you're doing so and it's good for people to listen to and, and and see that and normalize it one of the uh
1: one of the nice things luke talked about in that
3: interview was about
1: his wife, and I think Carl Anker spoke about it as well about the about the women in, in in men's life, and I just wanted to mention that in in terms of what he said that he didn't want to speak about her specifically because she'd not agreed to be on. I just thought that was a really really respectful thing for him to say, and something that I think's worth noting. Uh, the other thing that I thought was very interesting was when he was talking about uh if you enjoy something or you like something, taking the time out to. To tell them that you like it which for anybody listening if you would like to go over to itunes and give us a rating there and, and a review that would be very nice of you and tweet us <laughs> we like it when you tweet us tell us <laughs> join it if you're not enjoying it don't tweet us absolutely not um you'll be reported positive vibes only yeah PVO, mate pbm
3: yeah and um, on that dad funnily enough this is a bit of a random reference but um there's a rapper called joyner lucas and he's released a, a song recently called Will. And it was just about how much he loves Will Smith and how he's an inspiration. And he and he wanted to tell him that while he was alive. And um, recently they remixed it and Will Smith jumped on it, which I thought was really, really nice. And I think Will Smith said a line, something like, I love that you think I'm perfect, but I have plenty of mistakes and burdens. And then he went on <laughs> to reference who were the inspirations in his life. Uh, one was Muhammad Ali. who's obviously passed away, but he played him in a film. Um, and the other was Julius Irving, the basketball player who is still alive. And it was nice to see that ripple effect of one fellow's told someone else how much he thinks of him, and he's told somebody else. And I think that's that, that's a message you can take into to your normal day life. It doesn't have to be a footballer or a musician; just the people around you. Um yeah. like, just tell them while they're still here, because what's the point in telling saying nice things about them when they're gone? Yeah, it's just like it's that age old thing where it was so easy to. Especially lads, to be horrible to each other in like a WhatsApp group and, and have banter and a laugh, which I would never advocate needs to go away in its entirety. That's what lads like to do. But you know what? If if you like what someone's doing or someone means a lot to you, just tell them. It's, yeah. It takes five seconds and you never know the positive effect it'll have on them and, and you as well. Yeah,
1: I agree 100%. It's what you're saying there, Ryan, then, that if he's listening, Will Smith. Uh, next time you do a little rap, give the Man Marking Podcast a reference. Is that is
3: that kind of what you're driving at? I was more going at when I used to going to tell me how much I mean to you. Is, but yeah, that Will Smith thing as well works. That works as well. Yeah. So thanks for
1: listening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, we think you're great. I certainly do. Anyway, I can't talk for Bob. I yeah, no, I don't. I'm joking. I love you. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, <isn't this> nice, <laughs> nice. Um, without wanting to get too soppy and star, you know getting into things that, that that might put people off their dinner. We'll we'll wrap up at that point. Lads, thanks for thanks for being with us again today. Thanks exactly. for your time. Our next episode is out on Thursday with John Macken, former Manchester City striker. Uh, and I thought the...
3: it was with Snoop Dogg, mate. Oh, is it? The next episode <laughs> is, yeah. Next episode strikes oh, crying out loud. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Your bad jokes are rubbing off on me. Uh,
1: bloody hell! Um, so yeah, so you can listen to this on 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 iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, or whatever else you get your podcasts. And find us on Twitter, which is at Mark and Underscore Man. And remember, if you enjoyed the episode, tell us. It'll really mean a lot to us. We'll screenshot it and put it in the in our WhatsApp group. I absolutely guarantee you that it'll go alongside some of the other filth that's in there. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back with you on Thursday and we're going to leave you with, with Luke Moore's quick fire, which I think are probably the funniest ones we've had so far. So thanks for listening.
3: Yeah, um, so you're in a World Cup final, Luke. Would you rather save the winning penalty or score the winning penalty?
2: Um, I would rather score it. Uh, before you move on from that, by the way, can I just get in there and just say that I was the uh, official Football Ramble eleven penalty taker i I never miss one? Can you get that <laughs> oh, in there? Nice. How, um, many,
1: uh, how many penalties?
2: I don't want to get into that. <laughs> I think, to be, well, honest, I th- to be honest, I think it was three. <laughs> three ever. Yeah. Like, but do you know what that happened? That's quite an interesting story. Very, very quickly. Uh, that, um, I wanted to play in midfield and Marcus wanted me to play centre-back. He said that was a much better centre-back, uh, but it wasn't as fun. And uh, to, as a compromise, um, I said I would do it. Only if he gave me penalties and let me be captain. And he agreed. And that's how the <laughs> negotiation happened.
3: Uh, next question. Would you rather have Donald Trump or Boris Johnson's hair? Hair? Yeah.
2: My well, hair's my best feature. I, I don't want to change it. I don't want to change anyone. <laughs> I, I'll I'll keep mine, thanks. But a bit bojo, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. It can be. Yeah. I'll <laughs> well, tell you what, given that I don't think there's any foreseeable chance of me getting a haircut in the near future, it might go even worse. But um I would probably choose if you're gonna go ridiculous, just go full ridiculous. I'll just take I'll take Trump's. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to force me to have ridiculous hair, I'll just do it the most ridiculous <laughs> way possible. Um, would you rather score a goal for Portsmouth for Fratton Park
1: or be the lead singer for your favourite band at Glastonbury?
2: I'm going to say that I probably loved music before I loved football. And I'm not saying I'm a, a, a good musician, but I'm better music than I am football-wise. So I'll go for Glastonbury.
3: Um Next up, why do cans of San Pellegrino have tin foil lids? Do they think they're better than other can drinks?
2: I think they probably do. And I, think, <laughs> I think someone t- someone had a really good name for San Pellegrino. I can't remember what it is now. But anyway, I, I I also read an article. I'm sure I did, or I heard it on a podcast about the amount of money San Pellegrino would save every year if they didn't put that little foil on top of their cans. <laughs> um, and I can't remember how much it was, but it was quite a, an interesting quite amount. Right. But what the thing that, that finds me I find funny about that question is that because you three are all northern, you think like a bit of foil on top of a can of drink is just kind of <laughs> fancy bollocks, whereas I've never really thought about it before. I just think, oh, yeah, fair enough, because uh, I'm, I live in London, and I'm probably quite pretentious.
3: I think it's actually for contamination, isn't it? But everyone just thinks it's
2: this sort of marketing point. <laughs> it probably would be, because if you think about it, yeah, the top of a can could get pretty dirty in transit. Yeah, like, no I think that's really why it was today.
3: originally brought in, so you can good go back on
2: it now. <laughs> no, one else, no one else does it, do they?
3: No, none of them. Mm. I think it's ridiculous. I don't know who they think
1: they are. <laughs>
2: um, you know what they say, San Pellegrino is a canned drink for people who cannot face reality. That's what I say. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like uh, Frosties are cornflakes for people who can't face reality. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you had to
0: share a toothbrush with any of the football ramble daily, who would it be?
2: God's sake! <laughs> <laughs> um, now you're asking. I, to be honest, I think I would I'll just use my I'll just I'll just clean my teeth with my finger. <laughs> Can you remember the funniest
3: heckle you've ever had at a live show?
2: Um we did a live show in Winchester, which is a massive Southampton hotbed. Yeah, basically hotbed for Southampton fans, right? Um and um when we when we came out on stage we, we kind of get introduced one by one. And when I came on, I got roundly booed by the entire place. <laughs> and, I wasn't, and I wasn't expecting it. And I thought, fucking hell, what have I done? I haven't said anything yet. And uh, it turned out it's because there's an underfan. So that kind of sticks in the memory. But one of the best, if you're talking about in terms of people shouting stuff out from the crowd, when we played the Newcastle live show late last year, it was the same night that Leicester beat Southampton 9-0. And obviously, everyone knows I'm a Portsmouth fan. And what was happening throughout the show it's every so often, someone would just go, It's seven, <laughs> and then someone later on will go, They've got an eighth, <laughs> and then at the end, went, it's finished nine nil. And everyone went, that, 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 I'll never forget that, that. that. It was just absolutely surreal.
1: Talk us through your most embarrassing or cringe wavy moment working in football.
2: Yeah, so basically, I was at Premier League Productions in the green room waiting to do my show, and then. Um, I went to go to the toilet, and when I came back, Matt Taylor was in there, and he's like a hero, probably my favourite Portsmouth player. He was so good for us. He's such a such a classy player as well. And I fucking saw him, and I was like, Jesus! And um, the general rule I, I give to myself is that um, you've got to be professional, right? So you can't go straight over and I'll oh, give us your autograph. Let me have a selfie because they don't they don't really people don't really expect that because you're supposed to be professionals, right? So um, I didn't say anything. And then, do you know that presenter Manish? Yeah. yeah he came in he's really lovely and he was like oh matt matt luke's a portsmouth fan and i was like oh yeah and he's like, oh brilliant yeah, how you doing yeah yeah got chatting and my niece bless him said to me look you should get matt to do one of your ramble meat shows and i was like oh yeah that'd be amazing and matt taylor was like yeah i'll, I'll be happy to do that no problem no worries so like, all right fucking hell. brilliant so anyway so i got his number and i texted him a couple of days later said oh can we um can we do it uh, and he said yeah yeah we can do it but you'll have to come to my house and I was like, fucking hell, I'm going to go to Matt Taylor's house. And <laughs> I, I was just absolutely shitting myself. Honestly, it was a bit like being like 12 years old and it being like three weeks before Christmas. And in three weeks time, I knew I was going to go to Matt Taylor's house. Anyway, so well, I took my uh, my colleague, Sam, who came along and did like, he, he does a lot of uh, production stuff and and just does all the t- difficult stuff that I can't do. So I can take all the glory. And um we, we went to his house. And it was amazing. We interviewed him in his house. And I was just so nervous. I couldn't. I just couldn't function properly. And I kept making really basic mistakes. And what I try and do is I try and do my stuff as live. So I try and make notes as I go. And and if I make any mistakes, I try and make a note of it so it can be edited later. But generally speaking, if we do a ramble on Monday or Friday or whatever, there's no edits at all generally. It's all done as live. The, the, the edit list for this episode was about 15 pages long. Because I just couldn't remember anything, and my mind went to black And honestly, uh, well, you think I'm going to be p- p- playing this up? Um, I'm honestly not. I promise you. Halfway through the show, through the interview, Matt Taylor just went, "You're right." And I was like, I was like yeah, "Yeah, I'm fine." He's like, "Have you had a drink?" I was like, "No." <laughs> I'm just really nervous. And he was like, "Just take a minute. Just take a minute." It's, it's embarrassing, really, because like ultimately. I should really be a professional and and know what I'm doing. And I think, I think I'm older than him as well, which makes it even worse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, can you believe it? What a stunning goal from Matty Taylor. Two goals last weekend, and an absolute blinder today. And that's why Steve McLaren is keeping a close eye on Matty Taylor. What a strike.